Well, church, if you would take out your uh, sermon outline from the bulletin, which you received when you came in this morning, uh, we'll be following along in that outline as we spend week seven in our study of the book of Proverbs. And of course, as you know, if you've been here for a while, we're doing these topical uh, studies. It's the only way I think you could get through the book of Proverbs. And uh, this will be our last week as a topical sermon, so you'll do well to have that handout there. And uh, while you're, you have that handout, I, I do want to invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we'll get there uh, early on in this message, but I think you'll be helped by uh, reading along with me when I have an opportunity to reference 2 Timothy chapter 4. We'll start in verse 9 when we get there. One last uh, note uh, to to make is that I did bring a coat with me this morning, um, but I feel like we should have a rule. If there's an excessive heat warning going on, uh, you can leave the coat in the pew. So hopefully the ceiling will stay up and uh, everything will be okay. And uh, we'll trust the Lord, uh, won't we? So um, let's begin this morning as we do by uh, hearing from God's word. And you'll find um, our introductory verses on the screen. Hear now the word of God. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for your word in which we can consider. It's our hope, of course, that we would become wise through our study of the book of Proverbs, but not wise for our own sake, simply, but wise that we may more accurately and powerfully reflect the beauty and majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I I don't know if you're aware, but the Olympics is going on. Uh, We have uh, been Olympics crazy in our home. Every night, the family gathers together, and I don't know if there's other events besides swimming and gymnastics, but that's, I guess, what we're watching in the evening, enjoying that. I'm really excited as the track section of the Olympics begin. I used to be a long-distance runner in high school, and so I find that to be uh, a great enjoyment, kind of dreaming of what I could have become, right, as I uh, watch these individuals run uh, like the wind. One famous uh, track Olympian was uh, Roger Bannister, Dr. Roger Bannister, who in 1954 was the first man ever to run a four-minute mile. Prior to that feat, no one thought it was possible. They, they all, all the experts said it is impossible for the human body to run that fast for that long. But as Bannister kept getting closer and closer to four minutes, the barrier almost seemed to be mental. Now, mind you, Bannister was an amateur. Remember when the Olympics were for amateurs, right? He, he had, had no, um, no sponsor, no coach, no trainer, no endorsements. In fact, he was an Olympian while he was in medical school studying to be a, a doctor. Well, Bannister knew he could do it, and so he, he reserved the track one day and, and let everybody know, okay, I'm going to run that four-minute mile, and people by the thousands came out to watch. 
In fact, you can watch it on YouTube. It's a fascinating race. It only takes four minutes. Um, and uh, uh, Bannister narrates it as he goes. And so uh, everybody's surrounded, and the gun fires, and, and he takes off. But he doesn't run alone. You see, he has a friend named uh, Chris Breyer who's running out in front of him, setting the pace. And, and Bannister says, I felt so full of running that morning that I yelled to my friend, faster. Well, well, Chris Breyer can only run that fast for so long. And so when he can no longer keep that pace, he darted off the track and another friend, Chris Chadowick, jumped in front of Bannister to set the pace. And it was only at the last 300 yards that Bannister just darted past his friend crossing the finish line after running a mile in three minutes, 59.4 seconds. First man ever to do it. Um, an incredible accomplishment, but impossible without his friends. I want to consider with you this morning the necessity of friendship. If you would like to be happy, I would suggest that you'll need friends. In fact, it's just simply not my suggestion. A recent study of various ages from people in various countries set out to see is there some objective reality to making one happy. And they had all the, the, the chart of what might bring happiness. And at the top of the chart for happiness was not success or wealth or good looks or a beautiful home or rock-hard abs, right? But friendship. Friendship was at the top of the list from across countries and across age. The happiest people on earth are people with friends. You need friends to be happy. But do you know what else you need friends for? You need friends to be wise. Of course, many things you could do without friends. You could be successful. You could accumulate an education, a reputation, right? You, you can live a long life. You could do that all without friends. But there is one thing you cannot do without friends. You cannot be wise without them. Of course, the book of Proverbs is written to teach us about wisdom, uh, teach us how to live wisely. The Greeks used to think that wisdom came from Zeus's child. Zeus had learned that his wife was pregnant and the girl, the prophecy was the girl would one day overthrow him and rule heaven. And so uh, Zeus had, had a plan. He's just going to swallow his wife whole. And uh, evidently he did. And, and of course, she didn't go down his belly, but she lived in his head. And a time came for her to give birth. And uh, Zeus had an incredible headache and his head cracked open. All right. And out came the goddess Athena. And since she emerged from Zeus's head, uh, she is, um, according to Greek superstition, uh, the goddess of wisdom. So Athens, named after her, of course, is the place of philosophers and so forth. Uh, you can go there today, and it's named after Athena, the goddess of wisdom. I also uh, learned that, that uh, she's represented by an owl. With the, you know, the wise owl, the superstition, that's where the origin is. It comes from Athena, that owls are wise. One more thing that I learned that you might find interesting, maybe you don't. Um, but a group of owls, you know what a group of owls is called? It's not a flock, but a parliament. Isn't that interesting? So a grouping of wise owls is called a parliament. Which, of course, explains why we have a Congress. Right? Um, and, and, and so they, they, all, they all believed that this is where wisdom came from. Now, of course, this is ludicrous and we'd all reject it. But they had one thing, right? That wisdom has a divine origin. It comes not from Zeus, of course, this mythical, silly god. But it comes from the one true god. 
Wisdom comes from God. It's how God created the world. It's how he runs the world. To be wise is to learn how to live the life in which God has put before us. Wisdom is simply becoming competent in life's realities. Wisdom gives us skills for living, especially when God's rules do not apply. And throughout the book of Proverbs, we learn that without friends, we will not be wise. For instance, Proverbs 13, verse 20 Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And we need them. I think this is interesting. I I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon on friendship. Certainly I have never preached one. Um, And and I find it fascinating to consider uh, the truth in which the Bible tells us about friendship. I find it fascinating because I think this is a relationship that we often minimize, right? You've heard sermons on uh, parenting, haven't you? And husband and wife and so forth. And, and, and yet we often don't consider friendship. And even in our culture, we don't consider friendship. You, you go to the grocery store this afternoon and you stand in the, in the checkout line and there are all the glossy magazines, right? And what headlines will you read, right? That this celebrity had coffee with that celebrity. And now they're best buddies, right? No, we don't care. We want to know who's sleeping with whom, right? That's what our culture wants. That's what we're interested in, right? Our individualistic culture is more interested in erotic love, not brotherly love. And then you go outside our individualistic culture, you go to traditional culture, and they're more interested in familial love. They're more interested in, in moms and dads and children. You go to, to the Eastern socialistic cultures and they're more interested in civic relationships, relationships at work and relationships with uh, your neighbors. Friendship, wherever you go, is always minimized. And I think it's, it is because it's the one relationship perhaps that's not necessary. It's not necessary for us to have. Without, in other words, without erotic love, you wouldn't exist. Right? And, and without familial love, you would never be reared. And without civic love, we wouldn't survive in a society. Friendship is the only relationship that you need to deliberately pursue. It will never push itself on you. All other relationships will make demands from you. Friendship must be deliberate or it will soon disappear. And to make matters worse, it's kind of difficult. C.S. Lewis has a wonderful little treatment on friendship in his book called The Four Loves. He writes, typical expressions of opening friendship is something like, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. He continues saying, lovers are always talking to one another about their love. Friends hardly talk about their friendship. Hence, we picture lovers face to face, but friends side by side, their eyes looking ahead, absorbed in some common interest. Right? This is what makes friends. It, it's, it's the interest that they have, well, uh, the common interest that they share, right? Be, becoming a friend is not, oh, do you want to be my friend? That's not how we make friends. Becoming a friend is you too. You too think that's important. That's interesting to you. Well, it's interesting to me as well. We find something in common. And Lewis goes on and writes in only the way he can. He says, that is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. When one asks you, do you see the same truth? And you answer, I don't really care about that. I just want you to be my friend. No friendship can arise. There would nothing for friendship to be about. Those who have nothing can share nothing. 
Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. So, listen, friendship's hard to find. Friendship's minimized. Friendship must be deliberate. And yes, it's incredibly important. I would suggest to you this morning, if you want to experience the life that God wants for you, you want to be mature in Christ, you want to grow in wisdom, you need wise and loving friends. I find it in particular interesting that Jesus seemed to seek these relationships. Consider, first of all, my first observation to you this morning is that we need friends. We even see this in Jesus' life. The Gospel of John is full of this. I love in John chapter 1, after John the Baptist points to Jesus as the Lamb of God, we're told almost... Um, uh, you know, kind of by the way, that two of John's disciples went and followed Jesus. And they said, Jesus, where are you staying today? And he says, come, I'll show you. And the, the Bible simply says that they spent the whole day together. It doesn't tell us what they talked about. Just simply the fact, it's a simple little story that Jesus spent a day with these guys. And it's included in Scripture as if Jesus was seeking these relationships. Of course, we get to John chapter 15, as we heard during our time of Scripture reading. And Jesus says to them, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Right? So Jesus says, I've made known to you what's going on. That's what, I, that's what you do with friends. You open up to them. You share what's, what you're thinking and what you're feeling and what's on your heart. And that's what Jesus is doing with those whom he calls friends. It reminds me of the story uh, back in Genesis chapter 18. When God and two angels come to visit Abraham. And Abraham's very excited about this, and he, and he goes and kills a calf and bakes some bread. And, 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 and Abraham and the two angels and God, they all have a meal together, interestingly enough. And, of course, God is there not simply to enjoy Abraham's hospitality. He, he, he's there to tell Abraham his plan for him and Sarah to become a great nation. Right? But, but God then, after dinner, begins to deliberate with himself. And he thinks... Well, I'll just read to you. Genesis 18, verse 17. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? He's talking about Sodom. Abraham doesn't live in Sodom. But God says, you know, if Abraham is here, should I, should I keep this information or should I tell him? Abraham's my friend. In fact, that's exactly what Isaiah 41 says. Abraham was the friend of God. James chapter 2, verse 23. It was quoting Isaiah. Abraham was called a friend of God. It's just like Jesus. Jesus says, I called you friends. I've made known to you what my father's plans are. One, one other account of, uh, I think, of Jesus' friendship is, is beautiful. It's found in, in John chapter 21. Now, J- John 20 is the great resurrection chapter in the Gospel of John. It's in John 20 that, that Thomas bows at Jesus' feet and says, my Lord and my God. It's in, it's in John uh, chapter 20 that we read uh, Jesus commission them, saying, As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And we get to the very last verses in John 20, and we read John say, Listen, if, if I wrote down everything that Jesus did, all the books of the world could not contain it. But I have written what I have written so that you may know that Jesus is the Son of God, and in believing in Him, you might have life, right? End of the Gospel. That's a concluding verse. But it's not the end. You turn the page, and there's John 21. And what's John 21 about? It's about Jesus cooking breakfast for his disciples, hanging out on the seashore. I think we, we minimize this aspect of our relationship with Christ. Of course, he's more than just a friend, but he is not less than that. We also see, of course, that Jesus not only had friends, but consider the Apostle Paul. This is where we'll look in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to understand uh, the last words of the Apostle here. This is the last book he would write. 
And I find it particularly interesting how he concludes it. In verse 9 says, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he is strongly opposed to our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Prudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Now, you may know that, that Paul, when he wrote these words, is about to be executed. He knows it. He wrote about it in this book. This is the, the last book in which he will write. And what does he write about knowing this? His relationships. He tells Timothy who to avoid and who to pursue. He says, I've been hurt by these because they left me. He says, I long for you, Timothy. And the reason I mention this is because I think, especially amongst us men, there is an idea that friendship maybe is kind of supplemental. I guess it's good if you have time. Or friendships for weak people. Needy, emotionally needy people. But Paul here, you notice he doesn't say to Timothy, Hey, don't worry about coming. I'm a big boy. I get to handle this myself. He doesn't say, I have Jesus and that's enough. Now, I have said those things hundreds of times. My wife will testify that's true. I've said many, many times, It's okay, dear. Don't worry, baby. I have Jesus. And that is enough for me. And I'll tell you, after reading 2 Timothy chapter 4 and considering the book of Proverbs, I would suggest to you that is folly. It's foolishness. Paul would scoff at that idea. And by the way, he had Jesus far more than I or you. For verse 16, he says, At my defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me. He experienced the presence of the Lord in a far greater way than I ever have. And I would suggest that you have as well. And yet, he does not say that that is a substitute for friendship. He's desperate for Timothy to come. Do you not see that? I mean, you think about Paul. He's seen the risen Christ. He's one of the twelve apostles. He's written the very words of God. He's planted church all over the Roman Empire. He's healed the sick. He's raised the dead. And he says to Timothy, I need you. Will you please come? Verse 9, do your best to come to me soon. Verse 21, do your best to come before winter. I need to pour my heart out to you. I need to share my struggles with you. I need to hear your counsel. I am struck by the massive importance in the Apostle Paul's mind of his friendship with Timothy. And in fact, this is why I believe the book of Proverbs places such importance on having friends, including the ones to avoid. So consider secondly with me this morning 
that there are people we need to avoid as friends. We need to avoid bad friends. For instance, we read in chapter 18 and verse 24 of the book of Proverbs, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So what, he, what he's saying is that you, you may have many acquaintances, but you can only have a few friends. Right now you might think, well, shouldn't I be friends with everyone? And the Bible will answer, no, you should not. Now, you should be friendly with everyone, but you should not be friends with everyone. And the reason is because, uh, quite simply, friends will demand too much time on you, and you can only have so many. But the, 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 secondly, and I think perhaps more importantly, that some people you should not welcome into a relationship in your life of intimacy and influence. For instance, Proverbs 13, verse 20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. You see, friends shape who we are, for good or bad. Friendship is one of the most impactful relationships we could have. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Right? Some friends will lead us into sin, destruction, trouble. Right? Parents, you know this, do you not? Are you not aware of the most forming, relationship, forming influences on your children is the friends in which they spend their time with? You, you look at them and say, Why are you dressing like that? And then you see the group of friends and you find out why. Why do you talk like that? Why are you interested in that? And you find out who their friends are and you begin to understand why. Their friends will form them. In fact, I spent 10 years as a youth pastor. And I'll tell you, I must have had uh, at least 10 conversations with parents in my office who are distraught over their their college-age child who has now walked away from the faith. And they will say to me, well, I didn't raise them that way. And yet, if you look at the way in which they push their children, the child was involved in 20 activities, all of them good and nice, but they had no real connection with the people of God, had no real friendships amongst the church. I would suggest you beware of allowing the most formative relationships on your children to be fools. And that is not only for children as well. I suggest it's for us adults. You want to know what you'll be like in five years? Consider the television programs you watch, the books you read, and the friends you spend time with. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. In fact, the book of Proverbs, we don't have time to consider it, but you'll notice there on your notes, has lists a number of types of people which we should avoid and not seek friendship with. And so those are the ones we should avoid. What types of friends should we seek? I think perhaps a better question is, what type of friends should we seek to be? What type of friends are we? And so let me give you four characteristics of what good friends look like from the book of Proverbs, as I have observed. The first thing we see, we need to be loyal friends. Once again, consider uh, Proverbs 18.24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks. Note that word, closer than a brother. This idea of sticking is cleaving together. It's the same word used to describe marriage in Genesis 2.24. It's this incredibly strong bond. A true friend is bound to you. A true friend does not walk away. A true friend is loyal. In fact, you see from this proverb that a friend can be better than a sibling. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, that's an astonishing statement in light of the culture in which it was written. 
incredibly family-oriented culture. Family was everything to them in this traditional culture. And yet he writes, you can have friends that are closer to you than even your family. A friendship in Christ can be deeper and more meaningful than your family. You say, well, how can that be? Well, consider Proverbs 17 and verse 7. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. That's somewhat of a challenging proverb to understand. There are different interpretations. Let me give you what I consider to be the best. What I think he's saying is that family is there for you in times of trouble. Your family's there for you. and like you, You're in trouble. You're in adversity. Who can you count on? Your family. Now, they may not like you. Right? And they may not want to spend time with you. They may not want to hang out with you. When trouble comes, they're there. But a friend, well, they've chosen you. A brother's stuck with you. A friend loves at all times because they have not because they have to, but because they have chosen to. That's what a friend is. Now, they don't always agree with you. They don't always approve of you. Sometimes they're a jerk and sometimes you're a jerk. But they love you, what? At all times including times of trouble. Which leads us back to Proverbs 18.24, a man of companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You see what he's saying is that friends won't let you go to ruin. You, you say to a friend, you know, I'm good, I, I, I got this covered. And a friend says, no, I'm not going to let you go through this alone. Right? Friend is, is there for you even when it costs them. A friend is there for you even when they would rather be elsewhere. The companion says, hey, call me if you need anything. The friend, you don't have to call because they're there. One has said a true friend is one who is walking in when everyone else is walking out. A friend is loyal. A friend doesn't walk out on you. Perhaps you've experienced that. People walk out on you. Not there when they said they would be. That's painful, isn't it? People once you thought loyal and yet you find out when trouble comes they're not. The book of Proverbs refers to them in Proverbs 25 and verse 19. Trusting in a treacherous man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. Few things hurt worse than when you are in need and your friends are nowhere to be found. You could hear that even with the Apostle Paul. Alexander did me great harm. He said, for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me. Demas, by the way, is mentioned in Colossians 4, Philemon 24 and being at Paul's side. And yet we get to 2 Timothy and think, what, what, Demas abandoned you? Why did Demas abandon Well, Demas was in Paul's side when things were going good, but when trouble came, Demas, in love of the world, took off. There's great pain and the sense of abandonment when they leave us. It's painful because we need them. C.S. Lewis once again said, when you go through pain, it's not theological reasoning that we need. It is the slightest touch of human sympathy. I've read, once again, that studies have shown that women with close, without close friends are ten times more likely to be depressed. Isn't that extraordinary? Ten times more likely to be, be depressed when they don't have friends. See, trouble comes, what you need is a few loyal friends, don't you? You don't need, by the way, uh, you know, 5,000 Facebook friends. Right? You need one friend who truly loves you. Isn't it sad when you see people crying out on Facebook, on social media, to their thousands of Facebook friends because they don't have a real friend that could come and be by their side. Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. That's what we want. That's what we want to be, a faithful friend, a loyal friend. But we also see you need to be an empathetic friend. 
Consider the second characteristic from the book of Proverbs on what a good friend is like. He is a, or she is like an empathetic friend. Proverbs 25 and verse 20 says that whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. You see, in this proverb, there's someone with a hurting. They have a heavy heart. And what you don't do is you don't start singing around the heavy heart. You're not flippant. You don't give silly hallmark advice. You're, you're, you're empathetic. You hurt with them. You're, you, 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 you weep with them. You're not like Lucy who receives the depressed Charlie Brown in her psychiatrist's booth for the five cents. And Charlie Brown comes and says, I hate being a nothing. I refuse to go through the rest of my life as a zero. Lucy responds, well, what would you like to be, Charlie Brown? A five? How about a 26? Or a 72? How about a square root? You would make a great square root. And poor Charlie walks away even more depressed at this flippant advice saying, I can't stand it. You have friends, they'll be sad with you. Friends can't be happy when you're sad. They have bound themselves to you. Parents understand that, right? Child sad, you can't be happy. There's a connection, there's an empathy. You can't sing songs when their hearts are heavy. But that is automatic with parents. Friends give that connection voluntarily. They can't sing songs when you're in trouble. They can't go about their life when your life is falling apart. Friends must be empathetic. Third characteristic of a good friend, according to the book of Proverbs, is that we need forgiving friends. Consider Proverbs 10 and verse 12. Hatred, the Bible says, stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. If you are not forgiving, then you won't have friends. Because friends will hurt you. Right? Friends will wrong you. And, and, and because you love them, because you're friends, your love will cover their sin. And the reason it will is because Christ has covered your sin. And secondly, it will because you want their friendship more than you want payback. Proverbs 17 verse 9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. See, friends fight the temptation to bring it back up again. They fight the temptation to say, Oh yeah, remember when you did this? They, they fight the, temp- uh, the temptation to tell other people. They want to protect their friend's reputation. They want to pull a veil over their sin, not simply to cover it up, but because they have forgiven it. You want to be a friend, you must forgive. Now forgiveness is hard, isn't it? It's hard when we're sinned against by uh, people close to us. And it's worse when our friends, by the way, uh, perhaps you can relate, are in the church. I know people, and I trust you do, who once were part of a church and yet were sinned against by those they consider friends. And they have, since that point, walked away from the church. Right? They, they, have, they have left the church. Will not come back. Well, I simply want you to consider Paul once again. Remember in chapter 4, uh, four verse 16 in Second Timothy, he says, At my first defense, right, that's his trial. No one came to stand by me. Could you imagine what that's like? I'm all alone, but all deserted me, he said. So Paul's alone in prison, betrayed, he's deserted, and yet he will not give up on friendship. He won't give up on the church. 
He, he, he does not say, well, you know, I'll follow Jesus on my own. Who needs the church anyways? Instead, what does he do? At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. I forgive them. Why? Because love covers all offenses. Forgiveness. Of course, forgiveness doesn't mean we don't address sin or folly. Right? A friend will give honest counsel. So consider the, the fourth characteristic of a good friend according to the book of Proverbs. We need honest friends. Notice Proverbs 27 verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Right, so we gain from our friend's insight and counsel. You isolate yourself from people in your life, and then you're not going to receive that counsel. You're going to find yourself in trouble. Right? And one way in which friends counsel us is they help us to see the truth about ourselves. For instance, Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Right? Friends love us enough to tell us the truth even when it wounds us. I think when we, we have sin in our life, sin is very deceptive, isn't it? Because if you're a Christian here and, and, and someone was to come up and ask you and they would say, well, are you a sinner? Right? You would readily admit that you're a sinner, wouldn't you? I think all the Christians here would probably say, yeah, of, co- of course I'm a sinner. But it's when we actually begin to speak specifically about your sin that we have a great deal more trouble, don't we? That we actually begin to talk about the sin areas in your life that we don't want to hear it, that we deny it, that we reject it, that we become uh, uh, defensive, right? Don't we? Isn't that true for all of us? It, it's somewhat silly because we agree that we're sinful, but we, we don't want to talk specifically about the areas of sin in our life. This is why we need friends. Friends come and see the areas of your life in which you're missing. They come and say, I love you and I, I'm concerned about this area in your life. I want you to understand that where you end up in life is determined not, not by your intentions, but by your decisions. Where you, the type of person you become is not, not determined by what you intend to be, but what uh, the d- decisions in which you make. If we all d- decide to go to D.C. after our church service this morning and we get on uh, I, uh, uh, Highway 7 and we head west, right, just regardless of our intentions, we're not going to make it to D.C. Right? So what's, it's, everything is determined by, by the decisions in which we make. I think often we believe we are going one way because of our intentions but in reality going another, or perhaps not going anywhere at all. Often friends can see it before we can, right? I mean, how many people have ended up to be the type of person that they never thought they would be? They would even ask, how did I get here, right? And I think one of the reasons they got there is they didn't have friends to come alongside and say, let me help you. I don't think you see where you're actually headed. We need friends like that. We need them to speak truth into us, even when it's painful. You notice proverb writer says, the wounds of a friend. Wounds hurt. They hurt to say. They hurt to hear. But we need people who care about us enough who will actually say the difficult things to us. You know, some people say, you know, I know they're making a mess of their life. I know they shouldn't be marrying this person. I know they shouldn't be making this decision or have these habits. But it's none of my business. Well, friends make it their business. Friends are involved in their life, and if you will not make it your, their, your business, then you are not their friend. We need to speak truth. I know people, uh, and just personally, people that, that I don't know well, but, but I, know, I, I know at least a handful of individuals, for instance, who were studying for the ministry. 
and, and wanted to become a, a pastor, were in seminary and so forth. And of course, I think that's a, a good job to have, right? And, uh, and yet you, you spent just a little bit of time with them and you realize they're, they're not qualified. They're not gifted. I mean, a pastor at the very least needs to be able to teach. And, and some people, uh, you know, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant. I don't mean it that way. Some people just don't have that gift. Some people, and, and I, I've given people opportunities over and over again teaching uh, in, in previous uh, churches, and you see they just don't have, they're not gifted in that area. And everyone knows it. And yet no one will tell them. Because we don't want to trample their dreams. We don't want to speak truth to them. They don't have people close enough to them to actually say, Brother, I don't know if you're, you're gifted in this area. Perhaps we should think about another direction to go. Instead, we give them flattery. Well, it's so wonderful that you want to do that. You know, the proverb says, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. See, we need friends who speak truth to us, not flatter us. I don't know if you have friends like that. Do you have people willing to, to sharpen you? I like how it's put in Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's iron hitting together. It, it doesn't say, as puppies cuddle puppies. Right? So one man cuddles another, right? That would be inappropriate in a lot of ways. Um, right? But see, the point is friction. Sparks flying. and does not result in comfort and ease. It results in sharpness. Strength. We need it. Because without one another, we become dull. We become lethargic. We become lukewarm in our pursuit of Christ. We need friends to provoke us and challenge us and even hurt us. With the truth. By the way, say it hurt, not harm. Jesus, by the way, loved everyone. Many people were hurt by him, but he never harmed anyone. Right? If you are a friend, you may have to hurt your friend, but you're doing it to help them avoid harm. And if they receive it, they will grow in wisdom. We need friends. I I see this throughout the book of Proverbs and elsewhere. Uh, We need to pursue these relationships. As you heard uh, beautifully this morning, one way in which we pursue those relationships here at Hamilton Baptist Church is through our community groups. It's not the only way we do. Um, We are not uh, community group Nazis here. Please don't get that impression. We're not legalistic. We don't think you're a bad Christian if you choose not to be in a community group. But let me just add my own testimony that I, I am, have been powerfully impacted by my community group, by sharing uh, our joys together, shouldering our pains together, hearing each other's hearts has been powerfully influential in my life. And I, uh, and, and I understand some people say, you know, I would love to do it, but I, I'm, too, I'm too busy, right? It's another night of the week. I don't have time. And yeah, I understand that. I don't have much going on, so I, I, it's very easy for me to be involved in a community group. Right? That was sarcastic, in case you're wondering. Um, okay. So let, let me just speak personally. This is okay. So I'm going to take Pastor Stephen hat off, put on Christian Stephen hat, just for a moment. Personally, I don't have time not to be in a community group. I, I don't. I don't have time to avoid. I believe if I'm going to thrive like Christ wants me to thrive, I need the relationships found within our group. I think the group helps protect my marriage. I think it helps push me in discipline. I think it helps encourage me in ministry. I think it helps provide relationships for my children. And when trouble comes, as we have already seen in our community group, we don't deal with it alone. We have friends. Good and godly friends. So uh, we could kind of end there, couldn't we, right? Go be a good friend. But of course it's hard, isn't it? 
I mean, the reason that we sometimes don't have great friends or are not a great friend is because it's very difficult to be so. And so the question I just want to leave us with as we tackle lastly and quickly is how can we become friends we need to be in order that we may have friends that we need to have? I turn our attention once again back to Jesus. It was right before Jesus' death in John chapter 15, or really John 14 through 16. It's called the Farewell Discourse. Jesus, for three chapters, teaches his apostles on the evening of his crucifixion, his last kind of words to them before he dies for their sin. And he talks about a lot of things, but I'm astonished. You go back and read those three chapters, how much he speaks about relationships, how much he speaks about friendships. And he gathers them together and says, listen, tonight, something's changed. I... I no longer call you my servants. (laughs) I call you my friends. You're my friends. And you, my friends, I'm going to go and die. Greater love has no one than this, he said, that someone lay down his life for his, what is it? Friends. I'm dying for my friends. And, And he did it even knowing they were about to betray him. I mean, what would you do for a friend who, be, who betrays you, who walks out on you? Well, Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times. Jesus said, I am, I am the perfect friend who truly does that. I love you at all times. Proverbs 18, verse 24 says, A man of many companions comes to ruin. Jesus says, I am not a companion who simply will watch you walk into ruin. I won't let you go there. Proverbs 27, verse 6, speaks of wounds from a friend. How much better are the wounds of a friend when they're not inflicted upon us, but received by that friend? Jesus sees his best friends, what, falling asleep on him? Right? Denying him, running away from him in his hour of greatest need. And the Father says to him and Gethsemane that you will need to bear my wrath for your friends or they will. And Jesus says, I'll take it. I will take the wrath of God for my friends. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. His name is Jesus. He went to the cross to lay down his life for us. Jesus is the ultimate friend. Is he loyal? Stick by your side. He has chosen to bind himself to you. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Does he have empathy? He not only weeps when we weep, he actually takes our sorrow upon himself and bears that weight. Does he forgive us? We sin against him. We've let him down 10,000 times. And he responds again and again with grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Is he honest? He tells us the truth. Not if simply when it hurts us. He tells us the truth when it costs us, costs him his own life. John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. My brothers here and sisters... Do you know him like that? Is Christ your friend? I think so many have fill our churches in America this day and say, Oh, I know all about him. I may even believe the truth in which I read about him. But Christianity is simply not an acknowledgement of a set of religious facts. It is entering into a relationship with God through Christ 
our Savior, our Redeemer, and friend. He has broken down the barrier that stood between us and Him. He has gone to the cross. He has said, Father, let me be punished for them. I will bear your wrath for them. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And now he says, listen, if you will confess with your mouth that I am your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised me from the dead, you will be saved. And not only saved, you'll be adopted into my family. We'll become brothers. We'll become friends. This is what he offers to everyone right now. His arms extend with grace and mercy, wanting to receive you in to his life. Do you know Christ as a friend? Some of us do. I hope many of us do. I hope most of us do. And I will tell you, it is once you know Jesus like this, once you know Jesus like this friend, that you will find the power and the freedom to be the friend you need to be. So your friend needs correction. You're willing to do it because you long for them to know your friend Jesus better. Your friend's in trouble. You can sacrifice to be at their side because you have a friend named Jesus who is at your side at all times. Your friend sins. You will be able to forgive them because you have a friend named Jesus who has forgiven you 10,000 times more than he will ever call for you to forgive. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Our Father in heaven, we are eternally thankful for not only our Lord, our Redeemer, our Savior, but with great humility in my heart, we say we are thankful for our friend Jesus. What great joy is it that you not only sent him to deal with our sin, but to bring us into a relationship with him. Will you help us to pursue that? Help us not to take it for granted. Friendship must be deliberately pursued or it will fade away. May we begin to see Christ as our friend. And in doing so, may we be faithful friends to those in our lives. And Father, as we consider this truth of friendship, and as important as it is, we believe there are far more important truths this morning. We believe by faith through your word that those apart from Christ not only will not be Christ's friends, but will bear your wrath. And therefore, we pray with earnestness in our hearts that those who gather here in this room this morning, that they would not walk away from the offer of salvation but instead by faith would bow their knee to King Jesus and receive the forgiveness he offers them as they trust him in faith. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.